Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to updates on the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is a bi-weekly podcast here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book ride podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, alongside Eric Smith. We're recording on Thursday, August 30th, 2018. Hello. Hello. Oh my God. We have, we have a lot to discuss. I know. I know. It's, it's funny too, because it's like, I feel as though there's been nothing going on in the last month and really there hasn't been because publishing, you know, slows down in the summer and then August is when like all of publishing is nothing but out of office, you know, responses. Um, And yet you and I have like pages and pages of things we want to talk about. (laughs) Yes, because September, it just comes back with a vengeance. Like here are a wild amount of books. Uh, And yeah, let's talk about all of them. (laughs) Let's do it. Um, so what have you been reading lately? Like what's been on your stack as we near the end of, I, it's still not the end of summer, but the end of like summer break, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've been a bit of a lull, Mm -hmm. uh, the past two weeks. Um, so like my, my personal life, I started working at a community college for the semester where I'm, uh, teaching four courses of creative writing, which is a lot. I'm a a full-time professor for the next three months. So I will, uh, I've been mostly reading, um, student stories, um, (laughs) as well as agent books. Um, and I really can't talk about those. Um, but the student writing, however, let me tell you, no, (laughs) discuss. Um, but I did finally start digging a little more into, uh, light years by Cass Morgan. Um, Cass Morgan wrote, uh, the 100 and, uh, yeah, I got an arc of it back at ALA in June, which kind of tells you how long it takes to get to the books I scoop up and how many I may or may not have taken with me. Do not judge. Um, so it's about this private academy that's closed off for centuries. Um, that now has to let students in from all over the place because this enemy has attacked mankind. Um, and yeah, the school's in space, the space school that I, that I mentioned, it's a sci-fi novel. Um, <laughs> anyway, it, there's, they're training to be, uh, in the fleet and the book shifts the point of view from like four different characters, which is something I'm such a sucker for. Um, not super far into it yet, but if you like read the 100, um, like I think you'll really enjoy this book. It like fills that, um, that like Battlestar Galactica shaped hole in my life, which is very big. Mm-hmm. Um, did you watch the 100? Well, or have you seen any of it? It's like on season five. It's still going. I haven't, but um, I know a little bit about it because it's been so popular. Yeah, it's super fun. Um, Bellamy is the worst. I said it, you know, that's it. Come for me. 100 fandom. But uh, yeah, it is a lot of fun. Uh, I, re- I really like it. <laughs> what about what about you? You know, I've been in this reading lull as well and did this thing this week that I haven't done in a long time that I find difficult to do. And um, I quit a book when I was 
not disliking it, but also was not liking it. You know, when you're reading something and you kind of hit that middle point where you're like, it's fine. Um, but also it's not completely engrossing me. I find yeah. those to be sort of the hardest to give up because I always play the game of, okay, well, I'll give it 25 more pages or I'll give it 30 more pages. And it's like, by that point, you're 200 pages into, you know, a 300 page book. And you're like, okay, now what? Do I keep going? Or, <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's that whole diminishing returns thing. It's like, well, I could finish it um, because I'm not actively disliking it. But why would I want to finish something I'm also not actively like super engaged in? So, um, yeah book was fine. There was nothing wrong with the book. It just wasn't like connecting with me in some way. So I let it go um, and cut my losses there, which it's just so hard to do. I hate that. I hate that it's so hard to do because I have no problem when I dislike a book being like, all right, done. Um, yeah. it's, it's that like murky meh, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what, do you, what do you do with those books when you can't finish them? Do you like try to give them away as soon as possible? Cause they just sort of like, sit there looking at you on yeah. the bookshelf. Yeah, I do. Um <laughs> you know, and and I I'm one I I purge books all the time. Like I don't have like a a need to hold on to them. Um yeah. in part because they just start taking up so much space and like yeah. uh, I have animals that are totally destructive. They will chew anything like that they can chew and they particularly like books. Um, and I mean, both the cats and the bunny, like love chewing books. And so it's one of those things. It's also a matter of practicality. It's like, well, if a thing is going to be on the bottom shelf, it's not going to be there very long. And I'm going to find pieces of it all over the house for weeks and weeks to come. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, gotta get rid of that. The baby, uh, likes chewing books. He definitely has a couple of, uh, chewing arcs that I, that I leave on the floor for him now. Uh, won't say whose books they are, <laughs> but they, they are there. <laughs> oh man. Um, I did, I did finish one book I wanted to mention and that was, um, Buried Beneath Baobab Tree by Adobe Trisha Nuwabani, which, um, it's out, it'll be out by the time this podcast goes live and it's a fictionalized take on the Boko Haram situation in Nigeria and it's uh it's told in vignettes and you just get little snippets of the main character um as she's taken hostage and sort of what happens to her friends who are taken with her and um the things that she worries about the situations that she finds herself in and um it gives a really humanizing look at a story that we've all heard but have sort of maybe forgotten about um not everybody certainly but the media has not talked about it as much as they were um, back in like 2014 or so. Um, and I really love that it was told in vignettes, which is a format I really dig. And um, I poked around to find some more to put into a uh, newsletter coming out later this fall. And um, yeah, I just, I was like, I went down that rabbit hole of hmm, how many other books are like this? Not too many, but I've enjoyed all the ones that I've read that are set up that way. And uh yeah, so it stood out to me, and then uh, I should probably also mention, I read your book that's coming out. Oh, oh dear. Yeah. That's right, you did. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great. Uh, I think, like, how do you talk about a book that's coming out in 2020? You, like, really can't. Um, <laughs> and, it's forever away. <laughs> it is, it is. But it's very, like, geeky and nerdy and romantic and 
reminded me a lot of Steve Brozanov's guy in real life. Um, just which is that's like the best compliment of all time <laughs> that I've gotten about my writing, by the way, because uh, I love that book yeah. and his writing. Yeah, just total delight, total delight. So I say I haven't been reading much, and part of it is because I was reading like non, you know, book books, <laughs> books to be books. I guess is a better way to put it. But yes. Well, speaking of reading a lot, um, did you read the Wall Street Journal article? Is that a thing we should discuss? Because, um, oh my goodness, like we've talked about this before, how the only like YA articles you ever really see pick up steam are the ones that are just you know trash and awful. Um, and I guess that's the case with all poorly written hot takes. Everyone screams about them and misses like the good points. Um, so in case you haven't seen this, it's... Uh, Will we link it? I don't think we'll link no. it. Google Wall Street Journal <laughs> YA bad take, <laughs> and I'm sure it will pop up. And uh, this is just a reminder to our listeners that you know books that tackle heavy, hard to talk about issues are super important um, because they make those things easier to discuss or at least encourage discussion about them. Um, and they shouldn't be, uh, they shouldn't be, well, I don't discarded like this guy uh, in this article is suggesting. I'm a uh, it was the worst. <laughs> so, um, true story. I was really mad about this article and, and not so much what he was saying. I mean, yeah, that was annoying, but also like we had this hot take in 2010. So this is like not new or interesting anymore. And yeah. so like I'm seething about it. I'm like, what can I do about it? And I wrote them a letter to the editor. So, uh, yeah, we'll see if they actually publish it. I hope they do because I actually kind of know what I'm talking about for once. Mm-hmm. And, um, Basically, my big point is that, and and I'm sure our listeners would agree and you would agree, that part of why these quote-unquote dark books are so important is because they're actually light and hopeful for today's teens. Like, they are proof that you can work through that tough stuff, you know? Like, you might be a brown kid, but that doesn't mean that you don't get to have power and do things too. And, um, you know, yeah, you'll, you'll have these issues that, you know, the white girls in pretty dresses didn't have 10 years ago. Uh, but that doesn't make your situation any less important or valid. Um, so we'll see. I, who knows what the wall street journal will do with that. But it was one of those moments where I was like, I can sit here and be mad about it. And I could write uh, a piece for book riot and and maybe I will. Um, or I could just like write a letter to the editor, like my grandma would, you know? And, uh, (laughs) like I had that moment of I'm becoming the old person I always wanted to be. So now, you know, when you're thinking about me and my non-work hours, consider me like hunched over a computer screen, writing letters to the editor, every major newspaper for things I disagree with when it comes to why literature and their so-called hot takes. And also I, the title, Eric, the title of the piece was a riff on to all the boys I've loved before. So like, I couldn't be more proud of this piece. (laughs) And if it like, while I was in an inbox somewhere. I'm going to be so upset. <laughs> oh, I hope they publish it. I like this. I like, I like seeing Kelly in her final form, you know, writing <laughs> letters to the editor. Yeah. My tombstone will say, you know, died on the hill that articles about why literature should be written by people who know a thing about why <laughs> literature, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. So yeah, that's, that's been my week so far. Um, probably also explains why I haven't been reading as much. Um, but yeah, let's, let's dive into our show. And before we do that, um, 
This is a shout out for all the listeners who are readers, which I would assume would be all of you. But uh, Book Riot is conducting a fall reader survey, and we want to know about your reading habits and what you've been reading and how you've been reading. Um, so hop in and take the survey. It's at bookriot.com slash fall survey. Pretty easy to remember. Um, do it. I love getting like that crunchy data stuff from our, our readers and sort of <laughs> seeing how much you're reading and then comparing myself and being like, oh man, I don't read enough. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> like People have figured out ways to get more reading in their life. I'm like, oh, that's really smart. I should try that. And then like continue writing my nasty letters to the editor. <laughs> uh, our first sponsor for the show is Mirage by Samaya Dodd from Flatiron Books. And enriching, thrilling, captivating, from BuzzFeed, those are their words, epic fantasy inspired by author Samaya Dodd's Moroccan heritage about a poor young girl who must become the body double of a princess of a ruthless empire. The YA sci-fi fantasy debut from Samaya Dodd Mirage has been making its way onto most anticipated lists over the past couple of months. BuzzFeed says prepare yourself for a story that's enriching, thrilling and captivating and veronica roth is a major fan of mirage calling it smart romantic and exciting the story of a young woman forced to become a body double for a ruthless princess things in mirage aren't often as they seem check out this way debut from flatiron books publisher of caravel and the hazelwood you know i read mirage and i really liked it it was fun yeah, I need to read it. Yeah, it looks gorgeous, and I feel like I feel like we do a whole show on like Flatiron and their their like YA imprint because like they're just cranking out like awesome book after awesome yeah. book like Carmel, the Hazelwood, and then they had um what was the girl stuff. the girl of snow and glass? What is that one? Um, oh yeah, girls made of snow and glass. I think is the title. yeah yeah. Oh my goodness, they did um no, oh, what's it called the um. Goodness, I can picture it. It's about a girl who gets pregnant and like how she uh, chooses to deal with that. Um, I want to say no. Oh man, here I am. I'm just like gonna fumble. But they did another one that I really liked. Like they've been doing a lot of really interesting, different stuff. Yeah. So that was a uh, sponsor was Mirage by Samaya Dunn. Uh, Eric, did you know? This is our one-year anniversary show. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. <laughs> Can't believe we're doing this for a year. I, I mean, like, what do you get your podcast reporting part, recording partner <laughs> on, like, the first anniversary? Can it be paper, like, in marriages? Because I heard you like books. Man, how great would it be if we got each other books? <laughs> we could give each other enough oh, books yeah. to do this for a second year, which comes to, I don't know what the second year anniversary gift is. It's probably, like, tinfoil, you know, and it's like, okay, or well, something. Yeah. <laughs> we'll send the books wrapped in tinfoil this time, you know, <laughs> but, uh, so it got me thinking about, um, why books that have or deserve like anniversary or special editions, you know, uh, the kind of book that you like purchase specifically because you want the specific edition of it. Um, and I know that a lot of fandoms end up getting them. So like uh, Lee Bardugo's Grisha series, they did like a special collector's edition of those. And um, it got me thinking about like what, at what point do books kind of get those sparkling special anniversary editions? Like we know that Harry Potter got 20th anniversary editions this year. 
And oh, 20th. Okay. I thought you said Harry Potter has had 20 different <laughs> special editions, which I would believe. They ha- <laughs> there's probably that many, if not more. I, I would not be surprised at all. But no, for the 20th anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also, P.S., before we dig into this a little bit more, um, did you know Hatchet had a 20th anniversary edition in 2007? And then, wait, it had a 30th anniversary edition last year. And oh uh, I think the, the real takeaway here is, like, I totally get why this one has anniversary editions. Uh, so I'm not, like, knocking it for that. But the um, 30th anniversary edition had me laughing because the inside has all these, like, illustrations in it, uh, in case you need to remember what a sparrow looks like, or what like a plane looks like, or a bear, it's got a bear in there, so that you know um, what it looks like. There's also a beaver picture in there, in case you know Brian needs help, like identifying what a beaver is and friend or foe, you know. But uh, just in case. <laughs> so, what about you? What do you think about anniversary editions? Like, where do you see them sort of being appropriate or like necessary? I mean, I like them. I'm a sucker for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was definitely one of those, like, video game-obsessed kids that bought, like, the special edition steel uh, case versions of, like, every game I want. And then, you know, eventually I got rid of them all, <laughs> even though they were terribly precious to me at the time. Um, but now, like, with books, like, I, I don't know, there's just something so fun about having the, the shiny-looking cover on the bookshelf. Um, if it's a book I know I'm going to keep in my library forever, like, why not get the nicer, um, slightly ostentatious uh, designed one? And uh, I, have, I have quite a few um, in my little library. Like, I, you know, we do our usual gear enough to talk about our show tweets with pictures. <laughs> and like one of them I have is um, the Red Queen special edition, the Victoria Aveyard one. Um, and I think they only released that, geez, I don't know, like last year? So it's not even barely even like a third anniversary of of the book uh, coming out just because, you know, you're talking about her fandom, like her fandom is that big. Like I could certainly see a lot of people picking it up and it's like really pretty. It's in this gorgeous red uh, jacket. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I'm a fan because you know, if the fans want them, why not? Totally. Totally. Does that one, is that the one that has like the red pages too? Yes. Yeah. yeah it's so pretty. Yeah. I remember seeing that one and thinking it was really pretty. Um, I am like super stoked that Speaks 20th anniversary, which is next year, uh-huh. is g- getting uh, an anniversary edition. And the cover is a little bit different than the original, the one that we're all familiar with, but like uh-huh. still sort of pays homage to it in a really nice way. And apparently there's bonus material in it. So I'm like, I need Ooh. this book now. <laughs> I have to wait for it. Um, and then another one that I just discovered is 20 years old is Sharon Flake's The Skin I'm In, which I haven't read, but I'm very familiar with the cover and uh, remember it always being super popular at the libraries I worked at. And so there, it's getting a new edition and the cover is pretty similar, if not the same. But I think that the real draw for this one and like what I think will make people revisit it is that it's getting an introduction by Jason Reynolds, which is brilliant. Um, you know, take an author who is really having a big impact in YA right now and have him introduce somebody who has sort of been doing this for a long time and um, to whom his readers might not yet be familiar. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, 
what else am I psyched up about or have I, have I seen? Um, I know there's a deluxe edition of We Were Liars by mm-hmm. E. Lockhart. Um, like the first run of them were apparently all signed by her, which is really great. And there's like a hand-drawn map inside with some discussions about her writing process. Um, and I like, you know, again, like the same thing with like Red Queen. Like I like special editions like that that have interesting stuff in there for someone who really loved the book. And, yeah, maybe they want a new copy on their shelf or they've given away their copy or maybe they bought it for their e-reader. And now they want the, uh, you know, the nicer one for their shelf. That, that also makes me wonder, do do the special editions that have all these fancy features in them get like ebook editions? Like, is there a deluxe edition of We Were Liars on the e read? Like, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I, I, imagine, I guess they would, but oh, I feel like the point is to actually own it, right? And to have the, the print copy. I mean, that's how I think of it. Because it's like the value is in the like physical object of it, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, man. Now I'm going to have to dig around and look at <laughs> <laughs> see if that's the case. So um, something I've been thinking about for a while when it comes to, like, special editions is um, there were a lot of special editions of Eleanor and Park that came out before we ever saw the book hit paperback. So, like, there were maybe three uh, different variations of the hardcover, and they all were all pretty much the same. Like, you know, the illustration is sort of, like, iconic to the book, so it makes sense they didn't change it a whole lot, but... It got me thinking a bit about the idea of those special editions sort of extending the life of a hardcover book rather than, like, giving new life in a paperback. And, you know, like, this annoyed me for a little bit because uh, I always think about teenagers and the cost of books, right? Like, a hardcover is 20 bucks, um, and that can be a lot of money. Paperback, like, we're thinking $10, so uh, a little bit more of an affordable price range for a teenager. Um, so it always felt like, okay, we know that they stay in hardcover for a long time because it's easier for the authors to earn out, um, all their money for the publisher to get back everything they put in. Uh Um, but then like not having that paperback makes it harder for teens to get, makes it harder for libraries to like get replacement copies or, um, to get copies of the book to their readers. Like I, I know a number of libraries do like paperback book clubs because it's a more affordable option. Um, so like that annoyed me for a while. And then I saw this and this sort of changed my mind and, and, and maybe change my mind isn't the right word, but it gave me pause and has been giving me something to chew over a bit. But, uh, so there's a new awesome hardcover edition of the Hate You Give that is in like gold. It's really, really pretty. And, um, that's out in hardcover and it came out this week or last week. So it's really, really new on shelves. And I noticed too, that the, um, movie tie-in edition of the same book is coming out in October, obviously with the movie, and that's coming out in hardcover too. I don't think I've ever seen a movie tie-in edition come out in hardcover. Um, There hasn't been a paperback yet for The Hate You Give, which is part testament to how well it's selling and how popular it is, Uh Um, but also just like super fascinating to think about. Like they're putting out the um, movie edition in hardcover rather than, you know, cheap paperback for anybody to pick up. Wow, that's really interesting. I did not, yeah, I did not realize that. Oh, another huh. another one that I saw. Where did it go? It's like I have this this like list of notes. I was doing a little research. Um, City of Bones had one for tenth anniversary edition that came out last year. That's really really pretty. It's um, it does the 
gold foil right on the cloth of the hardcover. So there's not like oh. a um, dust cover. It's just like right on it. And I don't know. I love like how luxe those books look and feel when they're done that way. Yes. I also really like the City of Bones, um, the the paperbacks. I don't know if you've seen like the special edition paperbacks where they all have the spine that looks uh, like if you have all of them in one row, it has a single picture, like a black and white picture. Oh. No, I they're, haven't they're, seen they're gorgeous. I don't, and I'm not like a big fan of those books, but it makes me want to own them right. because it looks so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an aesthetic value thing, you know, which you can appreciate that whether or not you love a book. Um, yeah, we're getting 10th anniversary editions of the Hunger Games, which isn't surprising. And oh, uh, we are. Yeah, we are. And oh, get out of here! I, I wrote it down. Like, why don't we have those? That's excellent. We're getting them. <laughs> <laughs> to answer your question, we're getting them. We're also getting a, um, next spring, we're getting a 10th anniversary edition of Gail Foreman's If I Stay. Uh, I didn't see a cover or anything yet, so I'm curious how that will play out. Um, I know the book was popular for so long and then had the movie, but um, it's been a while now. I mean, a while in terms of, like, YA years is a different beast than, like, a while in, in normal normal people time um but yeah I'm, I'm curious to see what they do with that um and then my favorite thing oh this is my favorite and we have to talk about this um remember the time stephanie meyer did that thing with the 10th anniversary edition of twilight where she told the story through edward's point of view <laughs> i do i do that was brilliant that was so brilliant it was like the perfect way to sort of like give a middle finger to all of her you know, haters, but also to like perfectly troll and toy with the fandom at the same time. <laughs> oh goodness! Yeah. What else? What else? Um. Oh yeah. So so while you're talking, I went and I looked up um one of those uh, anniversary examples. Mm -hmm. So like looking for Alaska got a ten year anniversary edition. Um, there wasn't anything super special about it. Like the cover looked pretty much the same. Um, and there's like a Q and A and deleted scenes um from the book. Uh, you know, with John Green in there. Uh, but you can get it uh as a what's it called um an ebook. E oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Um. The last one I have is um, Jacqueline Woodson's If You Come Softly came out earlier this year in a 20th anniversary edition, and um, the cover is beautiful. If you haven't seen it, it's worth looking up. Um, and it, it makes great sense why they did that. Like, she, Woodson, kind of like Sharon Flake, has been a staple in Kidlet for a long, long time. But uh, Woodson recently had, like, her big, I don't want to say big break because she's been doing well for a long time, but she became more recognizable as a name when she wrote her Brown Girl Dreaming memoir. And so it seemed really smart for them to take advantage of that and reintroduce readers to this book 20 years, uh, you know, 20 years out. Like you think about 20 years ago, 20 years ago, I was, oh man, you know, I was just a teenager um, and I don't remember reading it, but now 13 years past being a teenager, you know, um, I want to revisit it because it looks so pretty and so appealing and, you know, catches me in a way it didn't catch me before. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. I'm looking up. Um, that's funny. I was like making a list of like, I wonder what books came out 10 years ago that we feel like should 
get like a special edition or anniversary edition. And I wrote down the Hunger Games, but I hadn't seen that yet. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I was thinking about like Audrey Waite by Robin Benwen, mm. which came out 10 years ago. And like, you know, people are discovering her now in a, a much bigger way after the National Book Awards. So, you know, maybe, maybe we get a re-release of that or something. Or um, maybe Patrick Ness's The Knife of Let- Never Letting Go. That that was 10 years ago. I think, um, they, I think they are doing an edition. I don't know if it's an anniversary edition or a special edition with the movie coming out. Oh, um, okay. I feel like I saw something about it. So I wouldn't be surprised if we hear more about whichever variation they're going on with that one. Awesome. Yeah. It's Great. Almost, it's almost like you're predicting it, you know? <laughs> You're, you're making it happen. Um, yes. I love the idea of one for Audrey Waite because that book is just great. It's just yeah. great. <laughs> so uh, question then, like, what do you think is sort of the appropriate time frame for an anniversary edition? Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, if it's an anniversary and it was like a special, like, iconic book, you know, I feel like that that, that decade – is a good hunk of time. Um, yeah, like 10 years feels right. So do we talk about the five-year anniversary edition book that we both are, like, talking around, or do we let it oh, go? Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> the fifth wave getting the hilarious five-year anniversary because, you know, the, the five is in the number of well, Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Remember when that was made a movie? Yes, I, I was hoping you were going to be like. No. I actually bought the movie when it came out because you know I tend to buy like a lot of the YA movies because you know I I write it and I work on it so you know I, I like to have them um, and I had regrets. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah. for our first anniversary podcast gift, I'm sending you a fifth anniversary copy of. <laughs> no. Check your mailbox. <laughs> Do you want to go into our next sponsor? We could let that uh, sort of linger yeah. there <laughs> into eternity. Yeah. Apologies to all the the major fifth wave Rick Yancey fans out there, the fancies, if you will, and we will we'll jump into the next uh, sponsor here. Uh, so, okay, sponsor number two, uh, Jacqueline and the Beanstalk by Mary Ting, and I, I love this title. Mm-hmm. Uh, What fate awaits a girl who hears monsters at night? 16-year-old Jacqueline looks up to her father, an honest man who once fought for the king. He now teaches Jacqueline how to use her wits and her sword. But he has a secret, and his secret may have a connection to the one thing Jacqueline is hiding from him. Upon hearing monsters or terrorizing the small villages around the Black Mountain, Jacqueline's father and his friends head out to hunt them, but they don't return. Armed only with her sword and three magic beans, a gift from a mysterious old woman, Jacqueline sets out to Black Mountain to save her father. Jacqueline and the Beanstalk, a rewrite of the fairy tale we all grew up with uh, to show women in a... Oh, a rewrite of a fairy tale we grew up with to show women in a stronger light and inspire girls that they can make a difference. Uh, through a, though a standalone novel, it is the first book in the Tangled Fairy Tale series, written by the author to challenge modern-day stereotypes. Her next book is called Red... R-E-D-D, Riding Hood. Red is a teenage boy. Jacqueline Beanstalk has a common theme the author has in her own novels, Girl Power. Uh, it's been optioned by Boilermaker Entertainment, uh, and her May 2018 female-driven release, uh, ISAN, International Sensory Assassin Network, is in development with Arclight Films. And that is uh, Jacqueline and the Beanstalk by Mary Ting. I... I... 
just had a moment of silence because uh, you read about his friends head out to hunt them, and I thought you said hug them, and I was like, that would oh, be a very different story. <laughs> that is a very different book, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, speaking of fandoms and speaking of um, books that you just want to hug, can we talk about the adaptation of To All the Boys I Loved Before? Yes, we have to, because, oh my goodness, this movie is just... Oh, my heart. I watched it twice already, um, and I totally screamed over the author cameo. Yes. Um, I heard rumblings on Twitter about it, and then when I saw Jenny Han, I was definitely like shaking my wife, like, that's the author, that's the <laughs> author, before she got up and went into another room. Like, it, was, oh, it was so much fun. I adored it. I loved it so, so much, and I think my favorite character is Kitty. Even though she is really the reason the whole story sort of, like, starts. Uh, and she's really the instigator here. I loved her. I loved her every, like, time she was in a, in a scene. I ugh, could not get enough of her. Um, but you know what I really, really appreciated about the movie is that Laura Jean is such a every teen. Like, she's not the chosen one. She's not special. Um, she's afraid to be who she is because she's not quite there figuring out who she is. Um, and when you think about it, like, Margot is older, and she has this, like, really strong sense of herself as a college student. And then you have Kitty, who's too young to even be self-conscious, which is part of why she does the whole thing in the first place. Um, so you get Laura Dean, who is like the legitimate manifestation of all things awkward, adolescent, and scared. And um, I think that's maybe why she resonates so hard is like anybody can sort of find themselves in her place. Yeah, there was definitely, uh, while I was watching with my wife, that just that gasped the moment at the track. Mm. Um, ah, it was so great. Like, I, I feel like I haven't watched like a good rom com like this in a really long time. Um, yeah. <laughs> I the one the one criticism I have is that I had a hard time keeping Peter and Josh straight. Like <laughs> me too. They look so similar. And uh also like this is unpopular opinion time with Kelly. Uh until the end I kinda hated Peter. Um I was like, why is she ignoring Josh? He's great. Why is she ignoring him? What is so great about Peter? Go away, Peter. I want to see more of Josh. And then um <laughs> like <laughs> I feel Josh didn't get very well developed in the film, but uh, by the end, I'm not going to lie, I had fallen for Peter, and I was like, yes. oh, you got so much better. Like, you don't make me cringe every time you're on screen, and uh, you don't make me wish you were your lookalike, and, uh, you know, in the end, I was super satisfied. Like, I think part of what I love so much is, like, having those feelings. Like, <laughs> character made me feel some kind of way about him, and, you know, Lara Jean made me feel some kind of way about you know, who she's pursuing when she should be pursuing, you know, Josh. But mm -hmm. what about you? Which team were you on? I was definitely on Team Peter. Like, yeah. that was it. <laughs> and then, like, you know, come the end of the movie, I'm like, okay, do we get, do we get PS, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the sequel? Like, mm -hmm. please? Like, do I just have to leave this movie playing on in the background on my Apple TV <laughs> to ensure uh, it's getting all the views it needs <laughs> to get the next movie. Because um, I will do that. <laughs> Same. I, I will watch it 100,000 more times till we get the next one. Because that was such, a, it was just so satisfying and done so well. And oh man, there's a hummingbird at my hummingbird feeder. Ooh. Oh, he left. Okay, I love hummingbirds. Sorry for that 
divergence there. Um, we were talking about things we loved and I just <laughs> <laughs> back to, to the show. Um, let's talk about some other YA titles we think would be really, um, do well in like that streaming Netflix movie style. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Right away. I thought about mosquito land by, by David Arnold. Um, like just reading that book. Um, and I don't know, maybe the cover sort of colors it for me and make, makes me want to read the book in the way it's, uh, I don't know, sort of illustrated on the front there. But I just, I just feel like the book is like written to be an indie movie. Um, you know, the girl on the Greyhound bus and, and the road trip and everything. Like I could see it with like a, like grain washed cinematography with some super hip soundtrack with a lot of bands. I don't know. Um, maybe a song from the shins on it, you know, like it feels like that sort of like indie road trip movie that you would see on like on a Netflix or a Hulu. Um, yeah, it feels like a slam dunk. I'm actually surprised that hasn't been made into a movie yet. So you want a hipster movie is what you're saying. I do. I I like those hipster movies um, with those like long like pregnant pauses <laughs> on, on a bunch of trees. You know, like yes. <laughs> Excellent. I think they should be hiring you to to give them you know input on how to make it happen. Uh, my first pick is um, the Art of Holding On and Letting Go by Kristen Bartley Lenz. So I was on the committee that picked this book to be published a few years ago um, through a small press called Elephant Rock Press. And um, so obviously I'm a little biased, but also I need to say more people need to read the book in the first place um, uh. because it's so great and it would make a great movie. Um, it's about a girl named Kara who is a competitive rock climber, but there is a tragic accident when she's with her family in Ecuador. And so she's sent to live with her grandparents in Detroit, who she doesn't know very well. And so it's a story about her sort of like finding her footing in this entirely new place and finding ways to uncouple her tragic experience with her passion for rock climbing. And also just like that awkward stuff about making friends in a new place when you're in high school and everybody kind of knows everybody already. And, uh, it's just it's a smart and I think relatable book, and also I I imagine like like you were saying like I imagine the sort of scenes they could film like rock climbing, how cool you know, yeah. um, and then contrasting like rock climbing in Ecuador with life outside Detroit, Michigan, you know where climbing is a little bit different, um, and that is the art of holding on and letting go by Kristen Bartley Lenz. Yeah, and Kristen actually lives uh, here in Ann Arbor. I've uh, seen her quite a few times. Nice. Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of her in that book. Um, let's see. My next pick would be uh, Fireworks by Katie Cartungo. Um, so this book's about. It, it takes place in the, like the '90s boy band uh, era and has uh, two teens trying to make it in that world. Two teen girls uh, who are auditioning to uh, potentially be in a you know girl sort of. Uh, uh, why am I saying girl boy band? A girl group. <laughs> uh, it's like this great story about uh, like female friendship and, and complicated relationships that form, uh, you know, surrounding potential fame uh, and all of that. And it's another movie that feels like it. Another movie, another book that feels like it would be primed for like, you know, like a Netflix type situation. Um, especially since it would be that like 
sort of niche period piece kind of kind of book. Um, it feels weird to describe the '90s as <laughs> historic fiction, but but it is. Well, this is yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners, that I've just aged as you were listening right now, but <laughs> that's the case. Um, plus, Katie's books are just—they're so fun. They're so sweet. Um, it definitely feels like that that the sort of movie that would do really well. And that one is um Fireworks by Katie Kutuko. My next one is Point. Days. What? Yeah. I was I was just thinking I was like, ninety nine days would be really good too. <laughs> you know, that's sort of like one hundred days of summer esque sort of story. Um, yes. Yeah. A lot of Katie Katie's books would be good movies. <laughs> <laughs> My next pick is like total opposite. In terms of like feel and tone, and that's uh, Point by Brandy Colbert. It's a, it's a dark story and super like gritty at times, but uh, I think it's the kind of story that we're super missing when it comes to adaptations right now. Um, it's about a girl who loves ballet, black girl who lives in the Chicago suburbs, who is a ballet dancer and struggles with making some poor choices, as well as. Um, trying to find a way to recover from her eating disorder. And um, I just don't think we see enough black girls on TV. And we certainly don't see enough who are, um, you know, like living in the suburbs and, and dealing with a world that is not sort of this stereotypical urban life. Like there's absolutely like value and importance in those stories, but this gives like a whole other, you know, what, real teens are living in and dealing with and uh yeah also there'd be so many great ballet scenes to be filmed and I keep thinking about that I'm like "Hmm, I want to see that so bad um and that is Point by Brandy Colbert oh man so this one I feel like I, I can't help but think this might be a great like like Hulu um like Hulu series like TV series um the way they've done Oh, what is that? That that, that up all night uh, <laughs> show that feels like it would totally be a um, totally be a YA novel, or maybe even Netflix with like American Vandal. How like that that still feels like it could have been a YA novel, and that's um so Denton's little death date by Lance Rubin is like a super underrated like YA contemporary with a bit of speculative in it um, about you know a, a world where you know you get a death date, you know when you're gonna die, and this teenager discovers his death date um is right near senior prom uh it's it's two days uh they've senior prom and you know he just wants to have a normal life and 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 get all these like normal experiences as every other teenager um but unfortunately he knows he's gonna die in two days so you know what is that like trying to gear up for your senior prom like a normal kid but you know you're probably gonna die at said prom uh there's a sequel to denton's little death date so it probably tells you things don't go exactly the way they he thinks they're gonna go <laughs> um but it's just it's so funny and it's so full of that like teen anxiety about everything and it's just heightened so much more because uh he thinks he's gonna die um and it's just really funny um and yeah i just i could totally see it being like like a mini, like eight episode, you know, TV series um, or a movie, I guess. But I don't know. I feel like there's so much room to explore, like the drama of 
all these first things that you're trying to get into your life before you die, mm-hmm. uh, and all the funny, you know, misadventures he goes on as a result. Um, yeah, maybe for Netflix, maybe the Stranger Things people would like this one. Uh, yes, make it happen. Uh, and that is Denton's Little Death Date by Lance Rubin. I haven't read it, but I know it has like the most brilliant covers because it's like a skeleton dude, like doing yeah. real life things. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, my next, so funny. My next one is also kind of funny. Maybe it's funny. Um, I'll leave it at that. And that is uh, Noteworthy <laughs> by Riley Redgate. And <laughs> the short pitch of it is a girl dresses like a boy to get into the ultra competitive acapella group at her school's. Uh, at her private school, and as you can imagine, hilarity and awkwardness ensue, and uh, yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. It would be one of those, like, funny uh, rom-com style films that takes on gender as well, and uh, what we do and don't expect of people um, doing their best and also maybe not being their best, and that (laughs) is uh, Noteworthy by Riley Redgate. Man, I didn't write down any more here. I should have uh, dug a little more. What, what other ones do you have on your on your list? Man, I've got so many on my list. Um, like, I overdo it when it comes to, like, brainstorming. Like, I'd rather have a bunch to, like, pick from and um, go around, you know, choose, like, what I feel like in the moment. I guess, I guess the last one I'll talk about is one that you would probably agree with, and that is We'll Fly Away by Brian Bliss. Uh, oh, yes. KYA favorite. Uh, it's a book about two teen boys, one of whom is on death row, and it is about their challenging home lives. Both of them have very difficult situations at home, and that is part of what draws them to be the sort of tight friends that they are. Um, it's a tough read, and I think it would do really well as, like you had said, kind of broken up, like a you know miniseries. Um, about these two boys and their backgrounds and how one ended up on death row. And um, it's just a smart look at male friendship and about the tough stuff kids go through every single day that we don't always necessarily see or hear about. And then also about the justice system that sometimes causes more harm for these kids than it does any good. And that is Will Fly Away by Brian Bliss. Oh, Brian Bliss. <laughs> so underrated and so amazing. Yes, I agree. I think I think we can uh we can stop there or I'll keep going because I've got like a million more. But uh <laughs> speaking of a million more, let's talk about what's going on in September when it comes to YA. Oh my goodness. So yeah, we talked about this you know a couple minutes ago about how like August was pretty quiet and then with September it's just like it's opening the floodgates. There's like yeah. this animated GIF that I think of with um, like a bunch of guinea pigs like being held back in like a little box, and the person opens the uh, the little little gate, and they all sort of swarm out to get to the words <laughs> of food. And in this case, it's just it's books inside there, and the, the little gate opens out, and all the books come tumbling out. There are so many books coming out in September uh, as opposed to the way August was. Um, and we want to prepare you for it. <laughs> as best we can, at least. <laughs> um, I'll go first, if that's cool. Um, yeah. The first one I've got on my list is A Room Away from the Wolves by Nova Rensuma, which will be out by the time that this podcast airs. And it's Yay! A, yeah. Um, did you read it yet? Yes, it's amazing. Awesome. Okay, good, good. 
Um, it's a ghost story about a girl who leaves home and goes to a boarding school in the East Village in New York City where her mother had once spent some time. And um, once she gets there, she realizes the girls are kind of different. It's a spooky and haunting read and really unsettling. And also, it's so carefully constructed that it's one of those books when you get to the end, you're like, I have to go back and reread it right now to figure out how she did that. Um, and that is A Room Away from the Wolves by Nova Runsumo. Yeah, that's sort of Nova's like trademark, right? Mm-hmm. Like the walls around us. And when I got to the end of that, I'm like, oh my God, okay, wait. <laughs> I had to like go back <laughs> and figure out uh, how it built up to what it did. Like, yeah, those <laughs> books are beautiful. Um, let me see. For me, let's see. What books am I psyched up about? Oh, goodness. So Heidi Halig's uh, A Muse of Fire uh, is coming out. Um, it comes out and like, maybe it'll be out by the time podcast airs. I'm not quite sure. Um, but the premise behind this one, there's a girl uh, and a family of shadow puppeteers uh, who don't actually use uh, shadows for the puppets. Um, people think they're magical and everything. And guess what? They are. Uh, the girl binds the souls of dead people to use as her puppets with her magical gifts. What? Uh, That sounds terrible to be that soul that gets bound (laughs) to be a puppet. Um, And it does so much of what I love in YA, um, where it blends and and plays the structure. Um, So in the book, there are pieces of it that look like plays, like letters. Um, It's everything I want. How dare you, Heidi? There's just so much cool stuff happening in this fantasy novel that is the first in a trilogy. Uh, So if you felt like at the end of her duology uh, with the girl from everywhere that you wanted more, uh, this is maybe her answer. Now you're getting three books in a row, and I cannot (laughs) wait. Uh, And that is uh, For a Muse of Fire. My next one is Sadie by Courtney Summers. And talk about a book that would make a great streaming YA adaptation. Um, It's a book that is told into different narratives. The first is a podcast that is set as a true crime podcast. And the podcast is trying to find out what happened to Sadie, who is a girl who's gone missing. She lives in a small impoverished town in Colorado. And um, the second narrative is told through Sadie's point of view about what's going on, where she's at, why she left. And um, she is trying to get answers for why her sister uh, was killed. So it's told in these dual narratives and the way that it's structured makes the book like literally breakneck pace because you're like, is the podcast going to find out before I find out? Am I going to find out for the podcast? Like, how are these pieces going to come together? Are they going to come together? Does, you know, um, like where, where is the story going to meet? Is it going to meet in the same place? Is it going to go in different places? And uh, yeah, it's, um, it's one of those books that's perfect for fans of true crime. Um, even though this is not true crime, it is fictional true crime. And um, the main character is um, she comes from a really impoverished background and she has a speech impediment, which is really fascinating to watch play out on the page um, as she's trying to get some answers. Uh, and that is Sadie by Courtney Summers. Now, have you listened to the actual podcast? So there's um, so Macmillan released like a podcast tie in to help promote the book. Um, I haven't listened to it yet. I listened to the first episode. Um, I don't know. Have you checked it out? I haven't. Um, I don't know if I will, only because <laughs> podcasts kind of fall in the same realm as um, 
audiobooks do for me and like anything uh-huh. fictionalized is really hard for me to listen to if it's non-fiction oh, it's a lot easier um and so like even I will say even like true crime podcasts are hard for me because it's too narratively focused um and like <laughs> I'm that person that like I love shows like House Hunters because if you completely zone out for a segment, when it comes back, they give you a recap of what happened in the, you know, the last 10 minutes. And it's like, yeah. I, I need that because I just. <laughs> I love those recaps, though, because like, so we looked at this house. <laughs> I need it because sometimes I zone out and need to know what the house looked like that they'd already seen and decided they didn't want. But uh, that's sort of like <laughs> podcasts. In uh, audiobooks, it's like I need nonfiction because I feel okay zoning out and being able to come back in and not have missed, you know, like 15 minutes worth of like essential plot stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. <sighs> Let's see, for me, uh, what's next on my list? Uh, so, Summer Bird Blue by Kimmy Bowman is finally here. Um, I've been waiting to have a finished copy of this in my hands uh, for quite a while. Uh, as listeners will likely know, uh, Starfish was like my favorite book last year. Um, astonishing and beautiful and just heartbreaking uh and surprise uh she's back with another devastating read um about a teenager who wants to be a musician uh and when her mom dies in a tragic car accident she gets shuffled off to hawaii uh which might sound great you know going to live in paradise but she's going to live with her aunt she doesn't really know um and now she has to form this whole new sense of uh of identity and who she is and what she wants um it's you know Another book, another YA contemporary by Kimmy Bowman that is, uh, well, sure to break your heart. She's, she's, <laughs> she's just great at making me cry. Uh, and that one is uh, Summer Bird Blue by Kimmy Bowman. My next one is Pride by Ibi Zaboy. It's, yes. a, it's a take on Pride and Prejudice and, like, look, okay. I know nothing about Jane Austen except that I had a teacher in college once who told me I needed to hunt down the short story Lady Susan because, quote, it's dark like you and you'll appreciate it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I totally did, by the way. And uh, that's where I've, like, left my Jane Austen experience because I feel like that you can't get better than that. Um that said, um, my limited knowledge of Jane Austen or Pride and Prejudice does not stop me from wanting to read this book because it's Ibby Zaboy and her writing is just enjoyable as heck. So uh, that is Pride by Ibby Zaboy. Oh, man. That teacher, wow. They just knew you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my next one, and I can't wait to finally dig into this, is Dream Country by Shannon Gibney. Yes. Um, I know you talked about this on a, on a recent episode. And I feel like this book is getting, like, a, a massive amount of critical acclaim. Like, it has, like, mm-hmm. four stars, mm-hmm. um, all this buzz. But I don't, I don't seem to see a lot of people talking about it. Um, so, hi, that's our job. Uh, yeah. This is your reminder to pick it up when it comes out. It's a story that spans uh, several families over five generations, um, digging into culture, identity, race. Um, yeah, it just feels like this like massive YA epic that I want more people to, uh, to be picking up. And it's certainly at the top of my, uh, TBR pile. Um, that one's dream country by Shannon Gibney. And that one, I think I mentioned this on the podcast when I talked about it before, um, has just an incredible author's note in the back that really sort of gives more context to how the story came to be and the sort of research that went into it. And, um, 
I think you could read it before the book and maybe have that like knowledge going in. But if you wait until the end, I think that you'll get just as much out of it, maybe even more because you could see the pieces of the fiction and how they sort of translated from the real experiences and research. And uh, yeah, I I'm with you. More people need to be reading that book because it is just incredible. I loved her first book so much. Um, see no color. Um, yeah, I, w- I want to see her blow up. My next pick is an anthology. It's Unbroken by Marie K. Nishkamp. Um, and it's an anthology of short stories all by and about disabled people, which is something that we don't have. And uh, I, I know very little about it besides that. And I'm looking forward to picking it up and reading it. That is uh, Unbroken by Marie K. Nishkamp. Yes, and my last one is uh, A Blade So Black by Ellen McKinney. It's a urban fantasy retelling of Alice in Wonderland. I mean, come on. I've been waiting <laughs> for this book for over a year now, and it's finally here. Um, and it was really funny. Uh, my wife had seen the author tweeting pictures of her finished copies fairly recently uh, and saw that Angie Thomas had blurred the book, and she like called me into the living room. She's like, Eric. And I'm like, oh God, something happened to our baby. But no, it's just, here is, uh, <laughs> here's my wife really excited to see Angie Thomas on this book. <laughs> uh, and that is A Blade So Black, Alice in Wonderland retelling by L.L. McKinney. And I'll just say again that everybody needs to read Here Stay by Sarah Farazin because she is a podcast favorite. Eric, did you read it yet? No, it's no, sitting there on my, sitting in my there. little stack. <laughs> I just mocked you because I knew that you were going to say that. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I know I've talked about it before. Eric talked about it before. But uh, it's Sarah Ferrison's next novel, and it's about a boy who loves playing basketball and makes the winning shot at a very important game and then deals with the consequences of being a brown kid and uh, all of the racism and Islamophobia that comes with it. But also it's very funny. Um, And I feel like I, I keep reiterating that. Because it's so smart in how it deals with these issues using humor and um, a character that is just so dang lovable. Um, and that is Here to Stay by Sarah Fairson. And I, I think that's, that's – is that our show? I think that's our show. Um, oh, my goodness. So many books. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we're just going to be reading, I guess, for the next two weeks before, like, we talk about more books. Well, it sounds like a good plan. Yeah. Happy anniversary to us. Yay! Thank you all for tuning in this week. Uh, please leave any feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing, and when you do that, it helps other people find us. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Twitter and Instagram as Veronica Kelly Mars, and you can follow Eric Smith on Twitter and Instagram as Eric Smith Rocks. And we'll talk to you again in two weeks. And I believe we have a guest in two weeks too. Yes, we do. I'm rubbing, I'm like I'm rubbing my hands together, like ha ha ha! It's gonna be so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks all for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs>